All right. Well, praise the Lord for some good singing. That was great. Um, we, we sing really what we aspire to, you know. We don't always feel the things that we sing, uh, but we believe them. We don't always feel them, and we, we sing them and remind ourselves of the truth of them. And, you know, I've, I've started writing down in my Bible, started back some time ago, but I have a list back here in the back. It says, Why Sing? Uh, with a question mark, and I've got over 20 scriptures that I've just running across, and I just turn back there and I jot them down whenever I run across one. So that's going to be a sermon one day, okay? Uh, you can be expecting that. But I want to share things like that with you that I learned from the Bible so that you can be encouraged by it. And I write those things down because I forget. And you probably don't forget as much as I do, but I, I forget so I have to write them down so that I can look back to them and um, be encouraged by them. Now, what we're going to do tonight is have one more, um, one more message right now that is uh, related to spiritual gifts. And this is one I've been sitting on for a while. Uh, Clay's got a hen that's been sitting on some eggs, sit on, sat on some eggs for 21 days and they finally hatched out some chicks. So I understand from that experience what it means to sit on something for a while. And I've really been sitting on this passage for a while as I've been working through these texts that have to do with spiritual gifts. And I want us to come back to this and look at it. So Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be tonight. And I don't have any handouts or any PowerPoints to go along with this. Uh, we're just going to take some time and study the Bible here tonight from this passage that as I went through it I was surprised by it and I came across this just in reading my Bible in my in my yearly reading I uh, the way I was going about it at that time I was reading in Luke and I slowed down and paid a little bit more attention to this I, I refused to believe I knew what was there already I slowed down and started looking at it, and I was, I was surprised by what I found. And uh, I want to try to share some of that with you um, tonight. Now, um, <clears throat> let me just read two verses, and then from there we're going to work our way through a portion of this passage. Well, I'm going to read Luke 19, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. All right, let's pray together. God, I give you thanks, Father, that we can call out to you, and that I can call out to you now in Jesus' name. And Father, rely upon your strength to deliver your word to your people and not my own strength. For Lord, I know that he who trusts in man is cursed, but he who trusts in God is blessed. So Father, I trust in you tonight to bless your people through the preaching of your word. Thank you for this passage that we have to look at, and I thank you for everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I read that passage in verses 9 and 10 that's at the end of Jesus' encounter with who? Does anybody see it? Who had Jesus just encountered, or who had encountered Jesus? Zacchaeus, that's right. Zacchaeus, and you know, because of Zacchaeus' repentance, really you see that and you see a comparison here in 
between chapter 18 and chapter 19 between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler was told to sell all that he had and to follow Jesus, did he do it? No. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. But here we see Zacchaeus having this encounter with Jesus and he willingly and gladly gets rid of his possessions. He gives back where he had taken wrongfully and so forth. And Jesus here says about Zacchaeus that salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. What does it mean to be a son of Abraham? Anybody know? What does it mean to be a son of Abraham? What would you say? Okay, so in one way, it could mean to be an ethnic Jew. What else does it mean? Someone of faith. Someone of faith. That's right. Is that what you're going to say, Jacob? Yeah, we'll try to do the verse, seed of Abraham, faith, and faith. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, can be, it can mean an ethnic Jew. You are Jewish um, by blood, I guess. But then... We see in the Bible also that it means to be a person of faith. In Luke chapter 16, when Lazarus died um, and he was buried, where did he go? He went to the bosom of Abraham. So the bosom of Abraham represents the place where the people of faith go in that particular instance. Now, going from there to verse 11. Notice here, so that's kind of setting the context for us. And then we come to verse 11, and Jesus says, now, or the Bible says, now, as they heard these things, so the things that we just went over, verses 9 and 10, and then that which preceded it, now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but the fact that Jesus said salvation has come to his house today, they heard all of this and they thought, hey, the kingdom is about to be set up. The kingdom of God is about to appear. Jesus is going to take over, maybe is what their thoughts were uh, physically and rule. Now let's go to verse 12 and see what his parable is. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now, let me tell you what that means. For a person in that day, and uh, Archelaus is an example that if you look up some commentaries, you might even have a study Bible that tells about how he went to Rome to receive his kingdom. In other words, he went to Rome to receive permission to rule over a part of Judea. But he had to go there and get that permission from Caesar Augustus and then come back and he had the authority to rule. So this is given that picture of a nobleman who went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then to return. All right, now let's look at verse 13. So, he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, 
and said to them, do business till I come. All right, now let me turn to my uh, resource here. This is the Holman book of biblical charts, maps, and reconstructions. And there is a table in here of weights and measures in the Bible. So I'm going to tell you what a mina looks like on this, okay? So if I look at this, a mina, it, and it's this way in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the biblical measure for that is 50 shekels. The U.S. equivalent for this is about one and a quarter pounds. Um, and it's called a mina or a pound. So this mina or these minas that are distributed by the nobleman, it's about a pound a piece of gold or silver, whatever it is that he distributed to them. All right. So it's by weight. All right. So he called the ten servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. So in other words, they were to invest. They were to employ these minas in order to begin to build his kingdom. Verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. All right? Verse 15. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, all right, so you see there that he got his kingdom. He returns having received it. Verse 15. He then commanded his servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Verse 16. I think that's all pretty clear. Verse 16. So there's an accounting in verse 15. They had to give an account. Verse 16. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. All right, that's pretty good. Verse 17, And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Have authority over ten cities. <laughs> Think about that for a second. That's a pretty good return, isn't it? That's a pretty good That's a pretty good reward. He had one pound that he was to be responsible for. He turned that one pound into ten pounds. And then he got to rule over ten cities in his master's kingdom. Pretty sweet deal. Verse 18. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Okay? Again, pretty great uh, reward for his, his faithfulness. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, 
Because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that my, at my coming I might have collected it with interest? So in other words, this man, he did nothing. He did nothing to uh, earn any more for his master. He simply kept that one talent that was given to him. He tucked it away in a handkerchief and did not employ it for good. And then we talk, we see here about the man, the nobleman who went away, and that he is a man who was, he knew, he knew that this nobleman would require an account. This man would not overlook what he did with the talent, with the minor that was given to him. But yet, he acted as though. He would. Now, before we go any further and before I forget, does this remind y'all of any other parable? What parable does it remind you of? Parable of the talent. But listen, beloved, it's not the same. It is a different parable. This parable was taught as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The parable of the talent was taught after Jesus had already entered into Jerusalem. The parable of the talents was taught while Jesus was on um, the Mount of Olives. But this parable is taught while he's on his way to Jerusalem. It's a different parable. And that's what's gotten me over the years as I've read this and read this and read this. And I thought, it's just Luke's version of the same thing. But it's not. And there are things to be gleaned from this. Just like it is from the parable of the talents. So let's continue on here. We see that the nobleman came back. He had received his kingdom. He called his servants to him who had the, the minas that had been given to them. And he required an accounting. He rewarded those servants who had been faithful. And now we see what will happen to the one who was not. In verse uh, 24. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. Verse 26, For I say to you that to everyone who has, that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So we see here that there is an accounting that's necessary to, to be given. And we um, find here in this passage that it is a warning, isn't it, to us? 
it is a warning, and it's one that we should not overlook, that we should take lightly and say, oh, Jesus is just all love and grace. Everything's going to be fine. It doesn't matter how I live now. You see, Jesus will call us to an account. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, our works will be tested. What we've done with the things that Jesus has given to us. How we have stewarded the manifold grace of God. And on that day, we'll give an account and there will be some things that will be tested. All things will be tested by fire, we find in 1 Corinthians 3. There will be gold, there will be silver, there will be wood, hay, stubble. The wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. It will not endure the flames. The gold and silver will endure. And so we need to realize that there will be that accounting. And there will be that testing that will be for the people of God. Now if you look at verse 27... Jesus says, But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Who is that? In this parable, who was that? All right. You said the citizens? All right. Right. Look at that, verse 14. But his citizens hated him. And sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. This is where it really, really stuck out to me, folks. There's three different characters here, really. There's the nobleman, there are his servants, and there are the citizens. And if we take this and translate it to now and our, the church and Jesus, here's what you see. Jesus as the nobleman, he's gone away to heaven to receive his kingdom. He's returning. His servants, us, the church, have been left here with minus. With that which belongs to him that he's graciously given to us that we are to employ And we will have to stand before him one day and give an account. But the citizens is the world. We, beloved, are in a hostile environment in the world. But even in the midst of being in a hostile environment of the world who hates Christ who will not receive Christ, the church is called to be faithful to Him, knowing that one day He shall return. Right? Does that make sense? Now, let us go in the next few minutes to some passages um, to uh, support, to, to support some of this. If you would look in your Bibles... And what I really want to do here is point out to you and reinforce from some other scriptures uh, that Jesus is a great rewarder to the faithful. If you'll look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. 
I was just sharing this passage with someone a little while ago who's uh, going through a very difficult time. But in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, y'all got it? Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The next one, Luke chapter 18, verse 28 and 29. Luke 18, 28 and 29. So, rather, verse uh, 28, Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, verse 30, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 4, I'll start at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are are eternal. All three of these passages, I hope, help you see the great reward that Jesus promises to His faithful servants. One more I'd like to ask you to turn to in, in regard to this topic is 2 Timothy chapter 4. I had to go here because this takes us to the end of the Apostle Paul's life, 2 Timothy being the last letter that he wrote. And we see his final words of this man who wrote 13 books in the New Testament. Here we see in verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 how the Apostle Paul viewed the end of his life. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, he says in verse 8, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. What day? The day of Christ's return. When we stand before Him and give an account, the Apostle Paul says with confidence that there is for him a crown of righteousness which he will receive.
So I share all this with you to say to you, and I hope to encourage you, in a world that is opposed to Christ, for we know that John 1 says that He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. That certainly being the Jewish nation, but we see it the world as well. That, that even in a, in a world that opposes Christ, we as the church are His servants who've been given by Him minus talents, gifts. And those should be and must be employed in the church, in the sphere of influences that we have for the kingdom that will endure for all of eternity. That's the kingdom of Christ. Amen? That's all I've got for you. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm, I'm encouraged by this, and I pray that your people will be. I give you thanks, Father. And it's, it's, it's amazing that you've given to us anything. But God, not only do you save us by grace, but you actually give us gifts. You give us responsibilities as your servants. So Lord, make us faithful. I pray, Father, on that day that we can be like Paul who's, and we can say that we fought the good fight. We have finished the race. We've kept the faith. Now there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to us on that day. In Jesus' name, amen.